0: to the Dread Podcast Network.
1: From Nice Guy Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem AMA, the fun-size edition where you can ask me anything. And asking your questions on your behalf is producer Joe Russo. Producer Joe, how is it? Uh, Things are good, Mick.
2: Happy holidays!
1: Thank you. We have Uh, a lot to be grateful for, uh, especially considering we've been—we're now concluding our fifth year
2: of postmortem the podcast. It's pretty unbelievable how much and how long we've been doing this.
1: (laughs) I know. No one ever imagined that we would still be going. We've gone through first. We started out at podcast one. And then we moved to Blumhouse and then we moved to Fangoria. And then from Fangoria, we went to our current home at Dread. and it's been a long road, but man, we've talked to some great people. We've done over a hundred interviews, so much to be grateful for. And uh, I, I want to thank the audience for joining us and for sharing with your friends and, and helping us grow.
2: Yeah. It's been pretty amazing. And it's been pretty amazing getting to know all of our uh, listeners and followers over the years and, It's been fun for me to get to interview you the last couple of years.
1: Uh, (laughs) Well,
2: I was I was uh, I was talking with uh, Abby Bernstein, your biographer, uh, about how I'm probably the only person next to her who's interviewed you more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true. That is true. In a world of having been interviewed almost at least as much as I have interviewed.
2: Pretty, pretty amazing. Well, all right. Shall we jump into some uh, holiday and end of the year themed questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Rick asks, two holiday questions for both Mick and Joe. Favorite Christmas Carol adaptation? And eggnog, either with booze or without, yay or nay? Let's start with eggnog, Mick. I feel like I already know the answer to this for you.
1: (laughs) It's a very easy answer because I don't drink alcohol and I'm a vegan. So no eggs, no dairy and no booze for me. So uh, I have never had a, a a cup or a glass
2: of eggnog, which I can't doesn't... imagine that there is a vegan eggnog yet,
1: right? Is even, there? If, <laughs> even if there were just the name eggnog kind of makes me throw up in the back <laughs> of my mouth. Yeah, uh,
2: It is an acquired taste. Um, and it's an acquired taste that I, I enjoy. So I'm a I'm a yay with with booze, uh, so <laughs> I will I will drink I will drink up for Mick when he doesn't. Yeah, so. you can
1: have my mug.
2: Yeah, there we go. Uh, but let's let's focus in on the first question: uh, Christmas Carol. We've never really talked about one of the most famous ghost stories of all time on this show, and uh, one
1: of the most uh, filmed stories from Charles Dickens. Absolutely. Uh, you know there are a couple of them. Uh, the best one in my thinking is the 1951 Scrooge, also called A Christmas Carol, starring Alistair Sim. Mm. It, it is a really wonderful one. But the one I grew up with as a child was Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol with songs and stuff. And I, I it was at a time when I, was, I wanted to be a cartoonist and I was drawing cartoons and I watched Mr. Magoo. And uh, that one really captivated me. So for nostalgic purposes, I would watch that again. I haven't seen it in many years, but as far as it's
2: still fun, I, I used to watch the um, Scrooge McDuck Christmas Carol, Disney Christmas Carol (laughs) cartoon. Yeah. And I loved, I still loved that one Um, much shorter than I remembered it being uh, (laughs) once I found it on Disney plus. But uh, one of my favorites is Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, You know, I Muppets were a part of my, young life growing up. And I feel like, boy, Michael Caine, like he, he sells it, you know, he, (laughs) he even when he's doing,
1: even when he's doing a money gig, Michael Caine is always there and he, he just commits. And, uh, and, uh, I, I love his performances in virtually everything I've done, even in something like Jaws Four, he commits. Sure. You
2: know? Yeah, yeah, no, he's always he's always great, and he's exceptionally great, I think, in, in Muppets Christmas Carol, which is uh, playing at the New Beverly this weekend, and I might uh, uh, might have to sneak by and go go see it in thirty five millimeter. But I think uh, it's
1: a requirement for you, Joe.
2: Yeah, I, I'm thinking so, I'm thinking so too. Uh, all right. John Zander asks, and and this is kind of a two-parter from John Zander and and, uh, another listener, Mark. John Zander asks, what do you think of Christmas horror movies? And Mark wants to know, do you have a favorite Christmas horror movie?
1: Well, I think it's certainly valid. Holiday horror has always been a staple in the genre. Um, And I do have a favorite. You know, there have been several crappy Christmas movies. and There have been some good ones. And I know I have a feeling I know which one you're going to go for, Joe. But uh-huh. for me, it's the Finnish film, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. Mm, yes, we've talked about this one. It's a good one. It is a work of genius. It's not like anything you've ever seen before. And it is so entertaining and unexpected. And the writer directed um, Jalmari Halander uh, is from Finland. And it was based on a sh- two short films he made back in 2000 and two, 2003 and 2005 i think but in 2010 it came out in cinemas and if you haven't seen it and you like your christmas grim <laughs> this is this is one for you uh, it is easily my favorite christmas horror movie i mean i'm very curious nick which one do you think i'm going to pick <laughs> I, i'm guessing krampus i don't know why
2: oh oh that's no that's a good guess uh i look I love Krampus I think it's super fun um, I think it's the perfect double billing with gremlins um, yeah. you know those which are which are two of my kind of holiday rotations but I you know this question came in a couple of days ago and I've been thinking about it for a long time about which one not just which is my favorite but which one actually genuinely scares me uh, and and you know Krampus and Gremlins are so much fun you know and there's been a lot of there's been a lot of good ones over the years but um. I'm going to throw a one that I don't know if we've ever talked about on the show before, uh, but eyes wide shut. <laughs> now there's a choice. Well, we're, we're both going dark. Yes, we are. I mean, and, and, and pitch black dark in, in my case, but that's for sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's and the
1: uh, European cut.
2: Yeah, sure. Of course. Of course. <laughs> less, less uh, floating black CG people. Uh, so <laughs> No, you know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting puzzle box of a movie because Kubrick obviously died right before release. And so there's so many unanswered questions about what he was thinking. And there's so much like rabbit hole conspiracy theories. You can go down on the internet, uh, kind of piecemealing all the different, you know, mise-en-scene set designs and, and what does it mean? And, you know, but to me, it's just, it's just kind of uh, you know, we're talking about Christmas Carol, um, it almost is kind of a Christmas Carol like journey, like the dark cousin to it's a wonderful life about, you know, a man who is wanting something greater in his life and being shown a glimpse of a society that he could never possibly hope to aspire to and realizing kind of the terrifying realities that come with it. Uh, I think it's chilling. Um, I think it's a chilling movie uh, fueled by Tom Cruise, and Nicole Kidman's performances and, you know, it's just a weird pop culture artifact that they broke up to after making the movie. I don't know. It's really, it's a really, it's a movie that fascinates me endlessly. It's a bold choice. And I'm proud of you, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. <Nick. laughs> uh, so there you go. Then, but, but you know, gremlins and Krampus too. Uh
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Gremlins is certainly way up at the top of the tree, a shining oh, yeah. ornament upon the top.
2: It's so much fun. Um, okay. Now that we've covered our favorite Christmas movies, our Christmas horror movies, yeah. uh, Ryan asks, Mick, you've done over a hundred interviews for the Postmortem podcast, and I've been conducting interviews since your days as a music journalist. How has your approach to interviews changed and evolved over the years?
1: Well, it has changed, in particular with Postmortem, starting with the TV show because. Rather than being a journalist, I'm a filmmaker interviewing other filmmakers. And that started in the postmortem TV show back in 2010 on Fearnet. Those shows you can watch on MickGarrisInterviews.com with a lot of the other stuff, including earlier ones. But what has changed is I've become more comfortable with uh, just sitting down and having a conversation. It used to be that I would prepare a list of questions. I wouldn't always... Uh, I asked them all, but I would have a list of questions just as insurance. And now I'm comfortable with sitting down and just having the conversation and maybe having a couple of of, uh, topic points that we want to discuss or uh, have a list of somebody's credits in front of me just so I don't freeze up on them. But uh, it's more a simple conversation without a list of required questions that I want to do. Because I find when you nail yourself to prepared questions, you often lose out the tributaries that lead to so much fascinating information. Some of the best stuff comes from questions that were not prepared in advance. And so uh, it's become a much looser approach, whether it feels like it or not to the audience, it makes for even deeper and better conversations with uh, with the guests
2: i think so and i've i've watched that evolve you know because when we started the prod- podcast i think you were still kind of clinging to some questions and as we progressed you know i probably around season two i feel like was when this started uh you you did start kind of letting go of those questions and just letting the interviews flow and and I think that's one of the reasons why we've been doing it for five years. Well, so. <laughs> here's the
1: hope. And uh, here's the five more. Or, you know, I uh, I always feel like, God, are we going to run out of interesting people? But five years worth, and that still hasn't happened. There's so many more people out there to talk to. I
2: completely agree. All right. TDE Pero asks, as we enter into a new year, where do you see the horror genre in the coming years? What's your predictions? And P.S., Thank you, Mick and Joe, for another entertaining year of the podcast.
1: Well, thank you for that. Um, You know, it's hard to predict and anyone who makes predictions publicly is bound to be embarrassed. So, (laughs) but what I do predict is more diversity uh, of ideas as well as the different voices in making genre films. Uh, I think, the digital platforms are where you're going to find all of the most interesting work. I, I think the theater complexes are going to, you know, roll roll more and more and more into franchise territory as they already have. Mm. So many really great films have, have died on the vine because uh, people only are selling and going to franchises. But I think we're going to see a lot of exciting voices from different genders, different uh, nationalities, uh, different uh, economic levels, all of that stuff, because uh, filmmaking has become democratized in in the tools of its making and in the platforms that are available. So uh, I'm excited by that diversity, but I'm also cowed by the vast avalanche of choices available to us.
2: I think that's probably right i mean i think the the big reckoning that needs to happen in the next couple years and this kind of ties into our next question um which maybe i can just ask it now but uh is is there has to be a budget reckoning on on movies because we can't keep making movies that are aimed at the theaters and having them go to streaming and not make any money right you know as wonderful as shutter is in in championing diverse voices and stories um You know, the license fees that they can actually afford to uh, buy these movies for streaming rights pales in comparison to probably the monies that were spent on them.
1: Um, Yeah. And the money spent on marketing movies for theatrical release is almost always as much as or more than the production costs. So you can't yeah. make you can't make a 5 or 10 million dollar movie and put it into theaters and hope for a return without spending another 50 million just to reach the audience.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and you know, streaming that's why I think so many movies fall into the void because they don't get these big, you know, marketing pushes and and the license fees are portions of the budgets and so I do think there's going to have to be some kind of reckoning in terms of what is a theatrical movie versus what is a, a streaming movie and what can those budgets actually you know, afford to withstand because right now I think executives are operating from a place of fear as, as they tend to do cyclically um, and usually do. But, but they're so worried about losing these big budgets on movies that they're over-controlling the movies that are being made and we're seeing kind of uh, we need we need we need Maverick uh, producers, who know, I can make a movie for this price and I can give, you know, these creatives a chance. Yeah, right? And
1: I don't I don't want to
2: give up the theatrical experience. It's, no, no, no. I don't Movies either, are, are meant to be seen. Um, um, I, I do think because the risk is higher right now and losing your money on a movie than ever before. Uh, I think that 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 the executives are operating from a place of greater fear. Than, than maybe at any other point in history yeah. so and
1: yet and yet they're spending more on the franchise movies these movies are more expensive than movies have ever been yeah because the upside is if you spend 250 million dollars on a movie and another 150 million dollars on its marketing right. uh, you have the potential of a billion dollar, box office movie which is no big deal these days i remember back when i was working um uh, with spielberg at hamblin on projects and terminator 2 was being made uh, or had just been made and the budget was a hundred million dollars and steven said to me I don't know how I could spend a hundred million dollars on a movie. <laughs> Obviously, he learned. Oh yeah, see, yes, he did
2: fast because reportedly, uh, West Side Story. He spent well north of that so <laughs> on wow. uh, on singing and dancing. You know, yeah, there
1: so. you go. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's an unfortunate truth that what we see is dictated by financial concerns, and yeah. and you know the problem is that. The Arclight Theatres, Pacific Theatres went dark. They yeah. went out of business. AMC is trying to cover a bankruptcy. Uh, yeah, they've yeah. had infusions of cash and all, but uh, it's
2: difficult to be a profitable film uh, distributor. Yeah. Let alone a pandemic. But speaking of yeah. pandemics, let's, let's, uh, let's drill into this next question here from Mike. Uh, First, he says, thank you, Mick and Joe, for creating the undisputed best horror podcast in the universe.
1: (laughs) Well, undisputed in these
2: rooms. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Assuming the pandemic ever ends, uh, do you think the trend of releasing movies to premium streaming services uh, parallel to or in place of theaters will continue? What are the implications of this trend if it persists?
1: Yeah, I think people have learned to not go to the theaters to consume their entertainment and and I hope that that changes but I am not optimistic in that regard and I'm normally a fairly sunny fellow when it comes to the future but You know, it's a it's a it's a pretty dark time, as we've been discussing, for for being able to continue seeing movies in theaters and having them be profitable enough to encourage new voices, new visions in theatrical feature films.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were literally just talking about West Side Story and this weekend it grossed $10 million against a potential $130 million budget. And that's before marketing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's got so long to go before it can even potentially break even. And, uh, you know, but I think there, there really is a problem where there's a large chunk of the movie going audience that is hesitant to go. And like Nick said earlier, they're only showing up for the big tent poles. Uh, right. And we saw this in October, perfectly illustrated when you had bond made money and, uh, Shang-Chi made money and Halloween made money, but you know, Last Night in Soho and Antlers did not. You know, right. they, the Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which is probably the best movie I've seen all year, did not. A great film,
1: a great film.
2: Um, so you know, I do think that people are being more selective about when they go to the theater, and you have these eventized uh, tent poles that are that are attracting people and they're 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 saying this one not that one you know yeah
1: well you know we've talked about it before but the movie going experience has become more of a theme park ride than a storytelling
2: experience right so yeah i i you know i think again i think this speaks to that budgetary reckoning that's going to probably have to happen in the next year to two years across all genres not just horror um in terms of you know, how do we make money on streaming movies and how do independent films produce a movie that could potentially work for theatrical and streaming and not lose their shirt, you know, and And how do we, and how do we get, how do we get audiences to feel safe going to the movies consistently?
1: Yeah. Um, And even the streaming thing is, is a big problem because, you know, when, Netflix puts out their movies and TV series. Uh, They just throw them out there. You get billboards in New York and L.A., but there's no support for those projects uh, other than just, here it is, take a look. Um, On Amazon, it's the same deal. So they don't have the kind of machine that theatrical features do. So it's, it's very difficult to sift through everything that's out there to find the kernels of gold yeah
2: it is it's true hopefully next year uh people will sift through and find alejandro bruges uh new horror film written by joe russo and yes <laughs> yeah we can find a way for that to f- find its way through but you know i do Joe worry russo about and that. chris lamont that's yeah. true joe russo and chris lamont yes thank you <laughs> sorry sorry chris if you're listening uh, uh protecting. yeah no, but but uh you know I do worry about that. I I think about that a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, it, It was, it was bizarre to see our independent Bruce Willis movie, you know, kind of come and go on the VOD limited theatrical market last year during the height of the pandemic. And then it drops on Netflix and it was the number two movie over Thanksgiving, which was bonkers. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Especially considering, you know, the movie. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> and uh, they didn't promote it at all. It was just n- there. No, it just, said just Bruce Willis's face carried it to the top of the algorithm. So, yep. uh, you know, it was, it was pretty remarkable to see. But, um. And worth
1: congratulating, know. by the
2: way. Oh, thank you. But, but, uh, you know, I mean, we don't have a Bruce Willis in, in, the Last Will and Testament of Charles Abernathy. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, you know, fans and goodwill and, and, uh, and whatnot and, a, and a hopefully a good trailer can can lift, you know, us, us up again. But, uh, you know, there is that fear of falling into the Netflix abyss,
1: you know, yeah, the 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 movie market is going through a big state of evolution and we'll see where that leads
2: us. Yep. I agree. Well, speaking of, uh, where the new year will lead us, Trent asks Mick and Joe, what are your new year's resolutions? Are you a new year's resolution guy, Mick?
1: I'm not, uh, you know, I try and, and, uh, live the best way i can uh from day to day and resolutions seem a little bit at especially at this gray point in my life <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, i i think it's uh either futile
2: or just beside the point well i made one last year that i actually stuck to yeah uh, what was that i joined this app called Letterboxed. Have oh yeah it? sure uh, yeah. it basically it tracks all the movies that you because, you know, people are constantly asking me for recommendations and I go completely blank face because I can't think of the last five movies that I saw, you know. That uh, happens to I... me when
1: we get one of those questions on this show.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I, I know. Uh, so, you know, I, I I logged in, you know, at the start of the year and I tracked all the movies I watched this year. And, uh, and it's been super helpful for when that question comes up. Um, you know, but also too, I was like, holy crap, I've seen 303 movies this year.
1: <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> impressive.
2: Yeah. Well, so it's, it's, kind of a neat little thing. So yeah, so that was, that was my new year's resolution last year was to track the movies that I watched better. And I used this app and I did it, it worked and you know, now it's habit. So, uh, do you have you know, one for this year? Uh, not yet. I, I, I'm usually like you, I'm not a big resolutions guy, but, uh, you know, there's still, there's still a couple days to figure it out. So, yeah. We got a few. Yep. All right. Uh, time to get to the main course. This is my question. Uh, Mick, what are your favorite horror movie of the year? Easy
1: one. For me, uh, last night in Soho, uh, everything about that movie just rang the bells. You know, the casting was beautiful. The setting swinging london in the 60s which took place before edgar wright who co-wrote and directed it was born i was around and and consuming entertainment you know the pop music in it casting diana rigg in her final uh, role and uh, terrence stamp and rita tushingham and just uh, everything about it rang true and We've talked to Edgar for a long time about coming on the show, and he finally told me that he wanted to wait until he had a true horror movie. And starting with Shaun of the Dead, I mean, that that classified as a true horror movie, despite its comedic elements but i'm so glad that we waited until last night in soho to get him on and talk about it but uh, everything about it, it's scary it's beautiful it's artful the the period is so well portrayed and it was a dismal failure at the box office <laughs> for, for all of the reasons that we talked about yeah. it was new it was fresh it was original the storytelling is great. Edgar is a great technician, but he's also a great storyteller. And his sense of humor, which is usually well on display, was muted in this movie. And I just thought it was a, a beautiful piece of cinematic art.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he was operating at uh, the the height of his powers, though, I, I you know, even saying that we might not have seen the height of edgar's powers still you know not yet uh, yeah which that, is which, is, which is something thing, that yeah. is very exciting too uh it's i mean really though a master just master craftsman telling a uh a story well told i i i, I knew this was going to be your uh, your pick uh do you think it's yeah. also your favorite movie of the year mick i mean probably yeah so far yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Because I mean, I watch movies other than horror genre films.
2: Uh, yes, you know, We've I talked about how important that actually is for aspiring horror filmmakers uh, to yeah. to broaden their horizons beyond the genre. Yeah, uh,
1: but you know, uh, that one is the number one overall, and uh, I, I thank Edgar for making it. It's just so terrific. I cannot
2: wait to watch it again, personally. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a delight. Um, I have, uh, I kind of, I was thinking about this for myself. I kind of cheated a little bit uh, because the movie that I think was my favorite horror movie this year has not come out yet uh, to the public. Yes. Um, I was really, I was really blown away by the black phone. uh, I hear good things. Yeah. It's, I really am excited for you to see it, you know, because I mean, obviously Joe Hill has been someone who's been uh, a part of your life for a long time, uh, you know, through your buddy, Steve. And uh, <laughs> um, and and I think it's a really great adaptation of the story. I think, you know, speaking of directors operating at, at the height of their powers, I think it's Scott Derrick's best movie by far. Um, and... Awesome you know, I, I, I just, I saw it at Beyond Fest this year and I was blown away. It comes out in February. I'm so excited for people to see it. Um, I, th- I think In the theater. theater. In the theater. Yes. Yes. Go, <laughs> go please. For the love of God, go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 I really, really thought it was uh, a terrific picture and I'm, I'm so excited for the rest of the world to kind of catch up so I can, Finally, talk to some people about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it'll. I guess it'll be February before we can have a conversation. Man.
2: That's true. One, uh, one thing I just wanted to note though before we wrapped up, because I know there is one other piece of uh, horror pop culture that came out this year that I think we were both fans of, though it's not a movie. Uh, is Midnight Mass?
1: Yeah, um, Mike Flanagan's Netflix series is a wonder. It is. So original, so intelligent, so engaging, so engrossing, and scary as hell.
2: Yeah. No, I mean you said it. It's uh, it's it's a uh, the best Stephen King story that Stephen King never wrote. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> well put. Yeah. So um, I would really highly encourage people if you haven't checked it out. Um, you know, it's a, I think it's an eight episode series on yeah, Netflix, yeah. and uh, it it really is. You know, another filmmaker just operating at the top of his powers. And, uh, you know, Mike, Mike continues to grow and dazzle and I can't wait to see what he's got next.
1: Yeah, he's such a talented guy. And before we wrap it up, I just wanna say this has been a landmark year for me in several ways. And I just appreciate being here, appreciate our audience. At the beginning of the year, I had a health issue that was life threatening. Everything worked out great, I'm fine, I'm healthy and happy and, and busy and doing all of that, but it's a very special time for me. And I just want to share my appreciation for the audience for, for another year. Well, spent.
2: Mick, we are uh, so ecstatic that you are, are still here with us and we're all very grateful for that. And I know that all of our listeners do not take that for granted. So
1: I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks.
2: All right, Mick. Well, happy holidays. Happy new year. We'll be back for another season of postmortem next year. Uh, And uh, I can't, I can't wait. Can't wait to see who we're going to interview.
1: Yeah. And we got more questions coming and Joe share
2: how to reach you. You can send your questions for ask, Mick anything to me at Joe Russo tweets uh, or Joe Russo Graham on Twitter or Instagram respectively, or you can send them to Mick directly at Mick Garris PM on Twitter and Instagram.
1: All right, Joe, thanks again for another great year. And thank you to the audience. And we hope to share the wealth starting in January. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.